Good morning again, and welcome. Uh, Watson, thank you for your prayer. Very humbling. Alluded to some of the crises in our uh, country and some of the disasters that we're familiar with, and then, of course, we know there are many that we're unfamiliar with uh, at this time. Anytime there is a world crisis, there's one thing you can count on. There are always presumptuous preachers who open their mouths and immediately connect these awful events to punishment from God as a result, usually, of someone else's sin. We are right to oppose these cheap assignments of God's purpose in human suffering. However, there are times where God appears to be involved in our difficulty, even to the point of inviting us to do a difficult thing, a test. We will look at one of those times today. So we're kind of getting rolling in a series here, looking at some Old Testament texts, some familiar, some less familiar. And we started out uh, looking at a psalm and how the psalms give voice to some of our anger and some of our pain and our grief. Uh, We looked last week at the burning bush account and how Moses uh, had the grace to turn aside and look and to take off his sandals and that God himself turns aside at Moses' response and just that intimate connection of man and God, that seems to be one of the main motifs of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we continue in that intimate realm today of God engaging humanity and humanity wrestling with God. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word test, but I still to this day I have negative connotations. And I don't think it was any one teacher. It's just a cumulative effect of I could be doing any number of things, and instead I have to take a test, or I have to study for a test. I remember going from the high school testing environment, uh, nothing against the prowess of my high school teachers, but, you know, you get to your first college test, and I thought, you know, I've heard these are supposed to be really hard, that you're supposed to work yourself up into a frenzy. So I remember my very first college test, uh, and it was kind of like an intro to business, and I stayed up all night at IHOP, you know, and this was before you couldn't smoke in IHOP, So it's just that cloudy, smoky, coffee, anxious environment. I was probably like this far from just being sick. And I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to take a college exam. Study all night is what I thought you were supposed to do. So that, you know, that experience didn't help me any. But test equals bad, right? Bad equals test. Test, bad, bad, test. I remember talking to uh, my friend who's a college professor, a PhD in English, and he he would talk about being at McMurray and giving these freshman exams, you know, and he's just like, I, I don't understand. He's like, they just don't understand. That. I'm trying to help them. I'm not trying to kill them. I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to give them a chance to grow, you know, to take a step forward of progress, maturity, something. I just, you know, not let them just kind of keep on going. And so he had this very positive view of test, of course. Um, and he never gave a test out of anger. It was always out of the desire to bring someone along. And still, I associate tests with a mean, mad professor. And, you know, I realize I kind of bring that over into God. When I hear God tested Abraham, I think, ooh, he must have been mad. That's not really what's going on here, is it? Israel was tested. Our ancestors, our great, 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 great grandparents were tested in the wilderness. Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit to be tested in the wilderness. And here, 
Before all of that, Abraham is tested. The text begins, after these things, God tested Abraham. This is a journey up the mountain with Abraham and his only son, Isaac. God is invited to take us along. He will take and he will give. And we will take and we will give. After these things. Very particular beginning here to the story. The timeline leading up to chapter 22. You know, start kind of, we go back to chapter 12. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are very dark. Right? When you have the creation account and it's beautiful and then things turn quickly uh, wrong. You know, you have the fall in the garden, you have the murder, you have all these things. And then, you know, then there's the flood where everything's wiped out and you expect it to get better and it doesn't get any better. And so we have the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 where man is just trying to make a name for ourselves. And the story that far is just depressing. It's like, man, we're, we're never going to get this figured out. And this is all bad. It's all awful. It's all difficult for no particular reason. We can't understand why we keep turning away. It's primarily about humans rejecting God. That's Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 12, there's kind of a new strategy. Right? God chooses a man, Abraham, Abram, and he begins an alternate strategy. Instead of just trying to give like a blanket blessing and a blanket gift to all people, he says, you know what, why don't we steer this a little differently and I'll bless one man and one family and one people and we'll see if we can't reach the world that way. Maybe that'll work, reaching, God, reaching people with God's love that way. So then we get to Genesis 12 and Abram's about 75 years old and he receives this command, go. Go away, right? Leave. Leave everything that you know. Leave your land. Go away from your birthplace. Go away from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Abram's call, and so Abram went, as the Lord told him. Right? It's just basic obedience. The worst thing to a man like Abraham would be dying away from home. You didn't want to die. If you died away from home, you didn't get to be buried with your forefathers. That was, that was like your whole life was gone. If you weren't, you didn't die at home. It was tragic. So the time away where Abram's been away has not been an easy time. Uh, there was wilderness wandering. They've endured a war and they've had some really close calls with Sarah. Finally, they hold in their arms the down payment, though, of a promise. And his name is Isaac. Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abram. He says, look towards heaven and count the stars. And this is how your descendants are going to be. You're not going to be able to count. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness, or reckoned it to him as righteousness. Moving on a little further. Abram's 99 years old. Abraham, Genesis 17. You've got the name change. Abram to Abraham. Becomes the father of many nations. Uh, and, and he's still believing. And then in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. In the meantime, we have uh, Hagar, the, the slave wife, and Ishmael is born. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
So some good years at home, we'll say a dozen years at home, good, good stuff going on. And now we get to this point in Genesis 22. And after these things, God tested Abraham. Now what things after what things? First of all, there's only one son left. There were two sons, so where's Ishmael? And remember, Abraham, Abraham uh, essentially had to drive his other son with his mother into the wilderness. And we don't know that he ever saw him again or heard from him again. Just had the promise that he would be okay. They had to send him away. It's a difficult thing. Sends his son out. So now he really just does have one son left at home. There are some blemishes on Abraham's faith. You know, we don't think, we just think Abraham faith. And that was it. It was simple. It was easy. It never changed. But through these years, there are some blemishes. It's like Abraham's faith, Abraham's faith is, is waning a little bit. He's, he's struggled a little bit. Remember when he placed his beautiful wife, Sarah, in danger? Not once, but twice. Remember he said, Oh no, this is, this is my sister. This is my sister. Let's, let's, let's protect her. I, I'll send her with the king's harem, you know, but I won't trust God to protect her. That's not the kind of thing you would do if you were a man who was full of faith. You were trusting God to jeopardize your beautiful wife with strangers. So in order to be the one man through whom all the world will experience the life and blessing of God, Abraham's faith cannot be in off-season mode. And he can't check out for this one. He can't be off his game for this one. And Abram replies, and God said, Abraham, and he says, here I am. In verse 2, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer them there, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. So Abram, Abraham rose early and he took. He rose early and he took. his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he went to the place that God told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place from afar. It was a journey. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. We'll worship and we'll come back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and he took in his hand the knife. So they went together, and Isaac said to his father, uh, his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, well, behold, the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. My father, my son, my father, my son, my father, my son. Can you hear the intimacy that's happening? Just the, the vulnerability that's going on in the story. My father, here I am, my son. I see the wood, I see the fire, but where's the lamb? I know how this goes. Abraham, God will provide the sheep for the offering, my son. It's a terrible knowledge that Abraham has. That Isaac doesn't yet have, and Abraham's carrying it with him. You can see the pain. You know, um, Rembrandt painted this scene when he was young, before he had children. 
And he painted, you can look it up, and it's just this magnificent Hollywood style Avengers. It's like bare chested, you know, dagger and the sun and this. It's just this real dramatic scene. It looks like an action movie. And Rembrandt sketches it again later in life when he's lost children. And he only has one child left. And the sketch that he makes later is of a man down on his knees holding his head in his arm. It's just a moving scene. You know, he, he had a different perspective on lies. And so we picture this scene. We picture Abraham. What must he be up to? What must it have been like for him? So we read on. It came to the place by which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood out. He bound Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Imagine hearing these words from God. For now I know, since you have not withheld. Imagine hearing God say that. We can bet that these are the words that God is wanting to speak to us. Because, is He angry with us? He wants to give us a test because He's mad? No. Because of His great love for us. Because of His desire to free us from, as the writer of Hebrews said, the sin that so easily entangles. God wanting to speak this word to us, his desire for us to be healthy, to be holy, to be whole, to be free. And this is not do your best theology, right? This is not work hard and God will do good and then work harder and God will do better. That's absolutely not what this is. This is take your best. It's not do your best, it's take your best and lay it down and don't pick it back up. Keep it before God so that we may be blessed to be a blessing, so that others might know the goodness of God. We fast forward and we read again. The angel again calls out to Abraham a second time and says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose. They went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived there at Beersheba. Abraham changes. Something has happened, and he is now ready to be the father that God has promised him that he'll be. The thing about promises, the thing about covenants that God makes with us is we are always tempted to adjust the terms. Right? We're always tempted to adjust the terms according to what's best for us. Right? We all do this. We do it in the covenant, any covenant, the covenant with God, a covenant in marriage. We're always thinking, how can I tweak this just a little bit so the terms don't fall quite so heavy on my shoulders? You know, I'm not sure that this is the marriage thing that I signed up for. 
I think we can adjust these terms just a little bit. This could be difficult. We're always wanting to adjust those terms. According to what we can see, it's a natural human instinct, a good thing in itself. We wonder, had Abraham forgotten, you know, the purpose of the covenant? Had he forgotten in all those years of waiting, in those years of, those 12 years of just being with Isaac and just having him around and playing catch and watching him grow up and just enjoying the moment? Had he forgotten where Isaac came from and who Isaac was? Had he forgotten where he came from and who he was? We could certainly understand if that was the case. How after receiving the gift of Isaac, we could slowly forget the source and the goal of the gift. Now this all begins when God takes. When God takes. He takes me and He takes you. He takes our sin. He takes our place. By God's grace, we receive this gift. We spend the rest of our lives becoming altogether different. Every day, the taking continues, which is gospel, which is good news. We don't think of gospel as God taking, but we have been created. And we know deep down in our soul that following Jesus is worthy of our whole life. That to receive the gift of grace will cost us everything. There is a plan as old as Abraham, older than that, in fact, for a healed you and a healed me, for a holy you and a holy me and a holy us. And God will not stop taking until that you and that me is realized. God will not stop taking until we are holy. Until we are saints. You know, the thing about the journey of holiness and just imagining ourselves climbing a mountain like this with all the things that are precious to us. Some areas that need taking for our benefit, right? That need testing for our benefit, for the benefit of others. Some of these things we know. I can raise my hand and say, yep, there's a couple of those things I can point to. I can imagine that uh, I've, I've slipped into that slumber with Abraham and I can see it. I can see a couple of things like, yeah, I can imagine, Lord, if you would want to come and, and take those. Invite me to place them back on the altar. These are good things, remember. Good things. Other areas need taking and I don't know what they are. Probably because I'm not paying attention. Maybe a good friend hasn't pointed it out to me yet and said, hey, Ryan, that's something that could go, man. You've held on to that long enough. You've harbored that mentality long enough. You've had that disposition long enough. Sometimes what needs taking is a wounded faith. A faith that's been hindered and hurt by the pain of the world. Sometimes what needs taking is an idol, a very good thing that we begin to love more than God, at our children, our work, our friendships, our resources. Sometimes what needs taking is a view of God that keeps God distant 
I'm an expert at this, keeping God at arm's length. And I can even use words and constructs and theological statements to keep God at a distance. At a distance. This is a hard text. It's one that's worth wrestling with. The last time I preached this text was five years ago. And the last time I studied it in depth before that was five years before that. So I'm on a five-year schedule. So y'all just may want to clear, the, you know, five years from now, just don't be, you may want, you may want to run for your lives. Uh, but I remember 10 years ago, I was in a seminary classroom and my Hebrew professor said, okay, let me give you an assignment and you have to go study this, these first three words in Genesis 22. God tested Abraham. And she said, I expect you to spend about 30 hours on this project. And I want you to consult this, 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 and this. And uh, here's how it's going to look. And I remember, I don't remember how long, the, how many pages it was. But I just remember we were supposed to spend 30 hours on it. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, that's, that's impossible. Uh, but it's a hard enough deal that it was, I, I was able to spend 30 hours on it. And I still don't know what's going on. Uh, but, but it is a hard text. And I'm, I'm comfortable with the language God tested. I'm wrestling with it. I'm still struggling. And then the last time I wrestled with the text was five years ago, and I had just received into our family a baby girl. And, you know, different times when we look at God testing and calling and taking, we're in a different place. We had a new baby in the house, and we were, we were preparing for what? We were preparing for her baptism. Now think about baptism and think about, you know, I'm just remembering my, my baby girl. You know, we've waited years for her. And here she is. And in the, the liturgy of baptism, you know, we come up here and we had a member of the congregation, Shirley Stevenson, who was a saint. I'll always view her as a saint. Just a beautiful life. Late in life conversion. She just gave and she gave and she gave and she let God take and take and take in her life was beautiful because of it. And she gave and she served and made things beautiful around her. And she took our baby and she said, I present this baby for baptism. And there was an altar and there we were and, you know, we're all dressed up. And I just remember thinking, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if I want to submit my daughter to the waters of baptism because I know in some sense, I will never get her back. Once I give her to God in that way, I'm letting go. And she's dying to a certain way of life. Now, of course, we believe it's a beautiful way of life, and it's a way of life that's worthy, but it's hard. And it was a hard thing to do. I did not want to offer her to God. I wanted a safe life for her. And so I guess this morning, I'm just thanking God again for the places that we can't see. I'm thanking God for the tests. May we who have been taken from a dead-end way of life, may we handle these tests with grace, that we may become who God desires, that His plans and purposes and blessings can be known to the world in and through us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.